my name is Anna. Uh, you may know me from Power Rangers, Spartacus, Kevin in the Woods, Anger Management. Depends what you're into. And you are listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. <laughs> TV show has ended. Star Wars The Clone Wars returned for one final season to join the dot between where it ended and where Revenge of the Sith begins. Neil Before Pod joins fans everywhere in talking about the long-awaited end of such a beloved show. Jedi Master Craig McKenzie leads a brave team to dig deep into this corner of the Star Wars universe. Hello and welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that has been fighting a long, long war against droids and... Seth and various other things. I'm Jedi Master Craig McKenzie, and as the announcer said, I'm here to lead a discussion about the final season, as well as the rest of it, of Star Wars The Clone Wars. Helping me fight this impossibly long war that actually comes back somehow, we've got Andrew. Yes, well, it's been a long road, but I'm I'm glad I can be here with you at the end. And Isaac. Hello. Ready for another bout of The Clone Wars? which never seems to end, apart from now that it's ended. Until whatever the follow-up to Clone Wars will be. The go-between between Clone Wars and Rebels. Isn't that a thing? <laughs> I don't know. I think they've already kind of... Oh, episode four is a thing I'm thinking of. <laughs> oh, yeah. still a new hope. <laughs> no, no. Rebels are set before A New Hope. Is it? Yeah. Oh, because at the end they did the yeah. time jump, didn't they? Yeah, it concludes just before Rogue One. Which is the one? Oh, Resistance is the one I'm thinking of. That's after... Yes, that's re- after Return of the Jedi, isn't it? Yeah, between one of the cartoons and another one of the cartoons. <laughs> anyway, before we get stuck into the minutiae of the Star Wars universe, let's do some Neil Befores and Rise Against, our award-winning feature. I haven't decided what award it's won yet, but it's winning one. So, Andrew, what do you like to Neil before this episode? Right, I am kneeling before a sci-fi TV series called Vagrant Queen. So this is a series about an outlaw scavenger who's surviving by thieving and robbing people on distant planets and going after criminals and stealing whatever they've already stolen. But it transpires that she is in fact this exiled princess from the ousted monarchy of a planet a couple of decades previously. And when she discovers that her mother might in fact still be alive, then she and a bunch of some randoms she kind of picks up along on the way embark on this quest to try to find her and save her and restore the planet from the dystopian regime which has since taken it over. I've been quite enjoying it so far. The thing it reminds me of most is Farscape. There's a lot of kind of weird wonderful alien designs and it has a tone that's like it's not quite sort of comedy but doesn't take itself completely seriously either. Cool. What's it on? Yeah, I can't remember offhand. Some service somewhere. It's on the actual TV channel. All right, okay. Uh, um, is it new? Or is it yeah, it's a new thing. There's only been maybe seven or eight episodes of it so far. Cool, okay. Some information in the show notes then. Possibly a trailer. Depends what I can find when I'm when I look it up. That sounds pretty cool. Isaac, what would you like to kneel before? I'm going to kneel before a normal continuation of comics. So from May the 27th and May the 28th, Marvel and DC will continue releasing digital format comic books because if you haven't been following with the COVID 
since March, they've released almost nothing in order to protect comic book shops. They haven't released any. Obviously, they can't sell physical copies, and they don't want everyone to just buy the digital and then destroy the businesses. They stopped selling most stuff except for trade paperbacks and things. So it's kind of been a long wait for people I who still get monthly comics and I have to keep rereading the most recent Batman so like what's the cliffhanger <laughs> like what am I waiting for there's been a few mix up as well with their distributors there's a few issues with I think DC was Diamond and Marvel were a different one and they had some disagreements so that was shook it up as well but it looks like May 27th and May 28th DC are moving to Tuesday releases and Marvel sticking with Wednesday and then from then on each week it should fall back into a weekly schedule of standard comic releases which is yeah which is pretty great that's something to look forward to presumably there's plenty in the bank as well just with artists and writers having nothing else to do but kind of work on them really yeah i think to the write the issues like well ahead of time so yeah. all this stuff was supposed to be released in like april and early may so they've got it all ready to go they just don't want to release only digital because then um, forbidden planet and with the comic shops, traveling man, like around the world in America and yeah. Europe and stuff, no one will go to them. So in order to help the business, they were like, okay, we'll just do like digital versions of trade paperbacks and like a couple of select issues. Like, certain companies are still doing like digital ones, mm-hmm. but the a sort of return to normal is coming at the end of this month. So that's, that's really great. And you say, I'm hoping to, I do quite like having physical ones, but I've missed new releases as well, so I think my plan is to catch up digitally and then spend all my dirty furlough money as soon as, <laughs> as, soon as it opens again buying nerdy things. Fair play. Yeah, which of the comic giants do you think will be first in with the lockdown event next year? Lockdown event? Yeah, you know they do the the events every, well, it's every couple of months now, isn't it? But which one do you think will have an event called lockdown this time next year? I don't think anyone is that sort of like, oh, let's be relevant to do a thingy one, except for Chris Chibnall. <laughs> so it'll be Chris Chibnall. <laughs> it'll be I mean, Doctor Who's story where everyone's in lockdown. Yeah. Well, it would be relevant as such, but it'll just be an event where the entire planet can't leave the planet or something. I don't know. There'll definitely be like, like a Superman story where it's like, oh, the real heroes are doctors and nurses and yeah. key workers <laughs> and whatever. There'll be one of them. Yeah. I don't think they'll be like, oh, here's a, a deadly... <laughs> Scarecrow's released his bat-themed venom across Gotham. DC publishers like, what are you doing? Who, who, who okayed this? Well, it's the thing. If you watch like episodes of Star Trek or any kind of science fiction thing or The Flash or any of the Arrowverse shows, this kind of virus is something that have cured within 10 or 15 minutes of an episode. Yes. Someone would catch it by the end of the episode that have a cure. You know, it's, yeah, it's one of the things you can't really like. Millions <laughs> of people have died. You can't be like, oh yeah, the Flash can solve this. <laughs> so, it turns out, well, all they need is a sample of the virus, and from that they can magically synthesize a cure to it. Because that's how science works. Yeah, we'll use the Flash's blood to accelerate the healing process or something. Yeah. But it might yeah, be the works. ultimate sacrifice, but it'll be fine. But it might be. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, you can see the problematic stories now. Cool, so comics are coming back out. That's a good thing for people that like to read comics. Excellent. My Neil Before is going to be Star Wars related, funnily enough. I know, positive about Star Wars, what's this? But uh, Taika Waititi is going to be doing a Star Wars movie. Or rather, he's going to be doing the first draft of a Star Wars movie until Kathleen Kennedy fires him. <laughs> it will be just like Solo, 
he'll turn in his draft. She'll be like, what's this? He'll be like, it's my Star Wars film. Why is it written like this? I write everything like this. Get out. <laughs> Get well, me J.J. Abrams. It's co-written with the writer of 1917, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's like Jojo Rabbit in 1917 at the Oscars. It's a muscle with a big net waiting for the, <laughs> at the after party. Like, catch all of them. Catch all the writers and directors. Yeah. But the problem is, I don't think Kathleen Kennedy really knows what she's doing. Say what you want about John Favreau. At least he has kind of oversight over the at least the streaming side of things. He gets to make the kind of shows that he wants, which is good. In the sense that it's all fairly consistent and it's all happening. But with Kathleen Kennedy, she uh, hires people and then ends up being surprised that they turn in the kind of work that they always turn in. Which is very odd. With Hollywood and big media higher-ups, I have no idea how much is committee. So when people say, oh yeah, it's a certain person like Kathleen Kennedy, there's probably like 20 Disney people, especially with like Star Wars and Marvel. There's always going to be a ton of people you have to get everything through. So I remember the same with Marvel and Ike Perlmutter. People are like, oh yeah, these certain people who are chopping up these directors are getting people fired. I'm like, I don't know how much of their word is what happens and how much of it is. There's a ton of meetings that decide, well, this isn't really good for the brand. Yeah, I guess the difference between Star Wars and Marvel is that Kevin Feige is probably a more powerful voice in terms of communicating what he wants and what he thinks should happen. So that's why the Marvel machine seems to be slightly better than the Star Wars machine or infinitely better than the Star Wars machine. Yeah, yeah, and, and also in the case of Marvel, I don't think it's much of a coincidence that the movies increase in, in women and, and non-white characters having more prominence has coincided with Ike Plummer's departure. Yeah, that's got to be a correlation there somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Taika Waititi Star Wars. I'm excited in principle. I can't wait to hear about the reshoots and who's going to do them. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> so let's move on to the more negative side of the coin, even though I kind of started with that. Let's rise against. Andrew, what are you rising against? Okay, so in continuing my streaming catch-up adventures, uh, I am rising against Gretel and Hansel. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I can only imagine how bad it is. Yeah, so as you imagine, you might as well me having to tell you, this is yet another version of a Hansel and Gretel fairy tale. Yes, although with Gretel's name first, just seeing as she's the more prominent character, due to like instead of them being closer in age as they normally are, it's, uh, she, she's a teenage girl and Hansel is, is, is a young boy who she has to look after. And it was advertised as a reimagining of the fairy tale, presumably with the tacit suggestion uh, that it's being darker and more gruesome and whatnot. But anyone who's actually familiar with it could probably tell you that's not really necessary, given that it's basically about a pair of children who are kicked out by the parents into the black forest to defend themselves, with the full assumption they'll starve to death, and end up being taken in by a cannibalistic witch. <laughs> and that's kind of content that does need much, much more darkening to it. Though the film itself is a reasonable idea on principle, just uh, trying to expand it a little, with some slightly more in-depth explorations of witchcraft and actually giving the witch herself a backstory and with a suggestion that Gretel might be something like her or have the potential to become like her. But in the end, it was just too meandering and took far too long to portray ideas that really didn't require quite as long to, to do so as it, as it did. And it was just kind of dull, really. Am I right in remembering that Alice Krieg is in it as a witch? Yeah, she, she is. Yes, yes, uh, she is the witch in it. The Borg Queen herself. Is Indeed, she at least yes. Good? Does she hammer up? Does she get wasted? She's there. 
Uh-huh. To be honest, that's about all you can say for everyone in it, really, because mm. they're not given a great deal to work with. And Arrowverse alum Jessica de Gaulle's in it as well, isn't she? I'm sure I read this somewhere. I could be uh, misremembering. Oh, yeah, yeah, she is. Uh, she's in flashback scenes as the witch's mother, when the witch was a little girl. It's, it's like screen time is like minutes, if that. I know weirdly a lot about this film that I've never seen. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that. Remember the Hansel and Gretel story that had Jeremy Renner in it? Oh, yes. Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters. Yeah, it was like filmed yeah, like three it, uh, years before yeah. it came out, and then it was like, oh, this guy's in the Avengers, let's release this. Yes, it was him and John Arterton. Yeah, that was it. I don't remember it very well, I just remember yeah, yes, yes. it existing. Um, there's also uh, one of three Hansel and Gretel movies that got released that year. <laughs> of course it was. Cool. So avoid Gretel and Hansel. Fair enough. Let's avoid that. Isaac, what do you want to rise against? It's pretty bland, but I'm going to go against the Hercules live-action Disney film. (laughs) Well, that's because it's just the continuing trend of live-action Disney films. Because they've said they've got Mulan will come out in cinemas next. There's Little Mermaid. They're working on A Night Before Christmas. And Hercules. It's just a bit bad, aren't they, those films? (laughs) No one dislikes them enough for them to not make money, but no one likes them better than the old ones. So they're not really for anyone. But they're just kind of successful, so they keep going. And still make a billion dollars. Yeah, they keep making a billion dollars. Everyone's like, I guess I'll watch it because I like the original Lion King. I like the original (laughs) Aladdin. So I'll go watch the new ones. And everyone's like, they're not any better, are they? It's like, no. So well, why do you watch? Which was like, just see how different they were, and then, and then they just keep making them, and they're going to keep going through all of them. Oh, they might be doing was it a fox, the fox, and animal equivalent Robin Hood as well as the other yeah. one. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't know. It's just every time you hear one, I'm like, oh, it's just another one. film. They're going to keep piling them up and stuff, and it's it's not particularly something you get angry about because they're going to do all of them. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, of course. Yep. Yep. This, is, this is cinema now for the next few years. Yeah, have cinema for a while. <laughs> if this is all you're going to get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Deal with it. The thing about Hercules as well is like, how many Hercules films do we just get anyway? You know, without them doing this Disney one. It's just a story that shows up so many times because it's free to do it. You don't have to pay anybody for the rights or anything. You can just write a Hercules film. Exactly, and because it's a set of myths and, and stories that people are familiar with, then it's got instant brand recognition. Yeah, I think I saw someone, I don't know if this was someone or if people are just wanting like James Woods to reprise his role as Hades, and it's like, just watch the original if you want to see James Woods play Hades. He's already done it. It's already there. Also, he's a monster now. Yeah. They can't make any of these films. Yeah, exactly. Like, Nobody wants to see Jeremy James Woods. Irons, <laughs> Jeremy Irons is blacklisted, so he couldn't be Scar again, and... <laughs> Surely they won't get James Wait, Woods what? again because he started dating sixteen-year-olds. Oh, Jeremy Irons said that gay marriage is like marrying your son, <laughs> and, and now okay, he's not still anymore. Yeah, I missed that as well. It was after Batman v Superman, and there was a gay marriage law. It wasn't the, I think we already had it in the UK, but it's something maybe somewhere in America or something. It was discussed as like two gay people marrying together is like a father marrying their son, and everyone was like, "What are you on about?" It was really weird. He's got a lot of anti-LGBT views. But yeah, in conclusion, sigh. <laughs> More live action. Yeah. It's just going to be that. And then they'll do the, the animated remakes of the live action remakes. And then we'll all be back oh, to the start again. <laughs> well, they're starting to talk about sequels as well, because Aladdin's getting a sequel. And a spin-off, I think. But So we might get a sequel to Lion King and so on. So yeah, we've got all that to look forward to. Like, Disney, you do such good things and you do such bad things. It's a shame. So, 
my rise against. I was going to rise against another Star Wars thing, but I'm not going to because <laughs> it will get brought up again in another podcast fairly soon. So I am going to rise against the fact that we're apparently getting another Demolition Man. People are really excited about it. Yeah. But I'm not excited about it because I know exactly what it's going to be. It's just going to be a pale retread of the first one and they're going to, if not explain, address the three seashells thing. The beauty of the three seashells is that no one knows the answer. We don't need the answer, but we're probably getting the answer. So I don't want another Demolition Man. The first one is schlocky and fun. And that's enough for me. Yeah, I mean, as I absolutely loved that film when I was a kid. It was one of the ones that I watched on, on Channel 4, probably far before I was old enough for it. Yeah, it's just, just a really daft, fun and rid- ridiculous action movie that actually knows how completely ridiculous it is yeah. and does not apologise for it, which is part of what makes it so entertaining. It reminds me of Last Action Hero in a way, although it's better than Last Action Hero. Although I do really like Last Action Hero. But I don't want another one. Let's not do Last Action Hero 2. I think I've said too much. I'll let you edit that out. <laughs> They're going to know. They're going to take the idea and be like, that's a good idea. They're Arnie. even Last Action Hero. <laughs> <laughs> Arnie, do you fancy doing Last Action Hero again? He's like, yeah, sure. And so a franchise was born. So that is all the rise against. We did it. That's a, that's a cross-section of the entertainment world, such as it is at the moment, that you can either check out or not check out. And not all of it was Star Wars like it was last time, so <laughs> it's fine. So now that we haven't talked about Star Wars entirely, let's talk about Star Wars, specifically the Clone Wars. Which recently ended after having ended before and then ended again after episodes <laughs> were released on Netflix. And now it's finally ended again for the last time. There's no more Clone Wars. Very, very final last time. Yeah, absolute, definite last time. So I'm just going to start with kind of a bit of your personal connection to it. How long have you been following it? Have you seen it all? Did you enjoy it? Did you not enjoy it? What do you think of it as a continuation or addition to the Star Wars universe? So, Andrew, let's start with you. I've been watching the series right from when it started. I really enjoyed the Clone Wars movie, the Clone Wars TV series movie, not Attack of the Clones. You, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I know that many people have, have mixed feelings about it. And I do agree that in, uh, in its early days, the Clone Wars series didn't immediately find a proper voice for, for itself. But as it progressed, more and more, it just seemed to me that this is everything that Star Wars is. And the themes that the episodes were bringing up is everything that Star Wars represents. And the excitement and action in it was everything that the prequel movies should have been but weren't yeah and just as a addition what did you think of the final season and the final episodes in general the kind of long-awaited return of the final episodes i really like the final season overall again i know some people didn't like the initial arc about the bad batch and then like the Mission against the Tech Union to save Echo. But I feel exactly that, because even when the narrative of episodes doesn't focus on the main players in the saga narrative, they can still be interesting and important and portray ideas that are well worth thinking about. I did enjoy it more as Ahsoka was brought back into it, because I love her, plain and simple. And the way that it progressed from there, I think, was the best way that it could have done things. Yeah, fair. Isaac, what do you think of Clone Wars? What's your sort of connection to the series? I never watched it when it was probably on. I don't think I really watched it until I was living with you and you were doing a rewatch. 
And I think I watched some of the Mon Calamari ones. <laughs> but I never really watched it when it was on at the time. So I just sort of joined in for this last series because it was on Disney Plus and, you know, spend money. <laughs> Mandalorian's not good. I want some Star Wars stuff. I did kind of skims the first eight. I do like, I think I like the Bad Batch. The Bad Batch stuff was good, but it's always a problem of these clones are the Bad Batch, but they're super skilled. It's like, this one's like an amazing sniper and one's like an amazing tactician. It's like, well, can you replicate this? If you're making clones and you make some that are accidentally better, surely you track your mistake and make them all better. Yeah, I don't know. Well, maybe I don't think it was maybe made it clear in the episode, but I don't know. Like, yeah, these are the ones like these ones didn't come out perfect, but they're clearly better than normal clones. So is it like a freak accident that can never be repeated? Because surely you figure out, like, oh, these guys are pretty good. We should just make a ton of snipers and a ton of knife-wielding ones and brutes and things. Yeah, surely you just train specific clones to do those specific jobs and they'll be amazing at it because they're amazing at whatever they put their minds to kind of thing. Who knows? Yeah. Well, the way I answered it was that they were a result of a program within the whole cloning process was to try cloning the bones with different genetic mutations, which would lead to these enhanced abilities. And it was stated that this program was shut down, which explains why there is more of them. But I don't recall anything specific being said about exactly why. Because, because, as you say, having soldiers with abilities that are basically superpowers is the kind of thing you'd want, really, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But but they're all a bit individual and quirky. You don't want that. I was like, oh yeah, these guys have got slightly faulty clones. I was like, well, I know what's coming up. Surely this is so that we can have some good clones (laughs) at the end. Because these guys, obviously, they're not as loyal. Maybe they didn't get the... It's not spoilers, is it? The Order 66 thing? Is that spoilers? I wouldn't say so. Revenge of the Sith is quite old. Yeah, it's like 2005. If it's a spoiler for anyone, they shouldn't be listening to this in the first place. <laughs> I was thinking they'd specifically introduce these guys so that when Order 66 happens at the tail end, it's so we have some rescuers. Oh yeah, these guys, maybe the Order didn't go through to them because they're a bad batch of clones. And they never showed up again. I was just sort of waiting for their return. Yeah. And what did you think of the final episodes, specifically, the, the final run of episodes? Remember, without spoiling, we'll get into spoilers, but... Uh, yeah, I think it peaked at the penultimate one. The penultimate one was really good, where we actually get the sort of, the twist. The last one was, it's alright, like it was fine, but it wasn't as good <laughs> as the actual pivotal moment. But yeah, they were really enjoyable. And also you have, not just Order 66, but you have the Ahsoka Maul fight and stuff, so it was quite a climactic, big ending. Yeah, so my relationship to Clone Wars is it's a weird one. I watched it every week when it first started, and then I fell away from it somewhere in the second season because, I don't know, I think there was just a run of episodes that I just wasn't enjoying. And I think the thing about Clone Wars is it covers the Star Wars universe in its entirety. So there are entire arcs that I just can't be bothered with, such as here's a run of episodes about Jar Jar, or here's one <laughs> about a bunch of droids that I don't care about. Like here's them fighting underwater with the modern calamari, which is, you know, I don't care about that either. And I think there's probably as many episodes of Clone Wars that I can't be bothered with as ones that I really like. But I think it's sort of designed to appeal to everyone, which means that there's parts of it that won't appeal to everyone. You know, I don't think many people will just enjoy it routinely all the way through. I don't think it's designed like that. But I think as a cross-section of the Star Wars universe, it does a great job of showing you what it's capable of, and it turns the prequel era into a viable storytelling era as well, which the films don't really do. So I think that's 
remarkable in itself. It's like, oh no, we can tell good stories with these characters, no less. It's just the films didn't for some reason. So I really like that, and I was glad to hear it was coming back. The final season, I actually didn't enjoy the first two arcs very much at all, so I wasn't a huge fan of The Bad Batch, and then Ahsoka cutting about with those scavengers or whatever they were. I wasn't usually into that as well. But the last four episodes, I thought, were pretty immense. I like the way that they did a kind of almost a film-length finale to it, and I almost wonder if they could have just brought it back as a film-length kind of let's tie up these two loose ends movie thing, because... As a final season building up, the first two arcs don't contribute to it too much. So, But we'll get into that. So, Now that I've said that, we should get into spoilers. Everybody agree? Yep. Yep. Let's yep, good. Punch it. Okay, now we can spoil. The aim of this podcast is we're going to specifically discuss the last four episodes because, for one thing, I haven't seen the rest of The Clone Wars recently enough to remember anything that went on in any great detail. But I should be able to refer back as I remember things. And I think it's much too broad a subject to cover in a couple hours of podcast anyway, so it's probably a better approach to just talk about the last episode and then feed stuff in. So on that, the finale is, the last four episodes finale is very much about Ahsoka going to Mandalore to track down Maul, bring him in, and then we get up to essentially, well, the end of Revenge of the Sith, which is interesting. And as I understand it, these episodes that were finally made were like written years ago. They just never made them. We're not getting new material here as such. I'm not sure exactly how long ago they were written, but it was certainly long enough ago for everyone involved to have known what happened in them. I remember a while back, there was some kind of Star Wars convention where some Clone Wars people were at and talking about it, including Dave Filoni and Ashley Eckstein. And there was a moment when Dave Filoni was explaining part of what happened in his last season after a fan asked about Ahsoka. And he was waiting a scene where she wasn't into the hangar and then there's a whole squadron of troopers that effectively have like, her twilight markings on their helmets and it was just like explaining how, how the idea of this was to act as a culmination of everything she had achieved as Padawan and becoming a Jedi and the way he described it was so emotional that it, it actually moved her to tears because she's going to be so emotionally invested in the character because she's played her for like a decade that was a good few years ago apparently so I imagine the, the plan for them would have been even before that Was this before or after she turned up in Rebels? It uh, might have been before actually can't Actually, remember, it's very helpful to kind of bring up a sort of like a time thing and not remember, remember when it was. Try and find it for the show notes and I'll put it in there and then we can see when it was. But yeah, I can believe that certainly not all of it would be new stuff. I imagine they did some tweaks because maybe Rebels played out in ways they didn't expect at the time. And there's things they obviously answered in Rebels that. Um, they couldn't finish off in Clone Wars, so maybe Maul was supposed to die in the finale originally or something like that because he couldn't go on or they didn't imagine he would go on and then they decided to pick him up in Rebels because they could. And I suspect they might have left Ahsoka's fate more ambiguous if Rebels wasn't a thing that was going to happen or had already happened. So who knows? But... I thought the story was great. Ahsoka versus Maul was excellent. And I really like the fact that they're both outcasts from what they originally 
aligned themselves to. So Maul used to be a Sith. He's not anymore. Ahsoka used to be a Jedi. She's not anymore. So they kind of meet in the middle a bit. And I like when Maul is trying to convince her that, look, Sidious is up to no good. He's about to rule the Republic. You can join me and help me deal with this. And, and she's like, yeah, sure. That sounds good. I will help you bring down this Sidious guy. And then Maul says, I'm going to kill Anakin because he's the key to all this. And she's like, well, I can't let you do that. They're like, and we're done. Yeah. I really loved his Mickey Mouse silhouette when she kicked him through the window and his double lightsabers <laughs> left by the same. It was super silly. And Maul's always been one of my favourite characters. Talked about it at length in the Phantom Menace podcast, how much I like Maul. And I think what Clone Wars did to him and later Rebels did to him was superb as well. Sam Witwer is such a great voice for him. Yeah, it's an incredible performance. Yeah. And especially with everything that Maul goes through, there's points in his history like where he attains ultimate power after becoming the ruler of Mandalore. And there's also points where he becomes less than nothing. He's effectively just like a glorified cyborg scavenger on some forgotten trash planet. For some reason, he's the leader of a crime syndicate for a while as well. <laughs> yeah, I never quite picked up the continuity on that one. He mentions Crimson Dawn in one of the episodes, though, I'm sure. Yeah, because what's he called? Whatever Paul Bettany. What's his name? What's Paul, Paul Bettany's character called? Dragon Vars is in, isn't he? When he's doing the three holograms. Is, that, is he one of the holograms? Yeah, he's the one on the, the right. You can see like, the red lines all like, down the side of his head. So I was like, oh, that's nice. All right, okay. So he goes from this to running Crimson Dawn for a bit and then eventually turns up on that Sith planet that's not Exegol. And through like, all the rise and falls that Maul goes through, the way that Sam Witwer voices him, it always perfectly captures the emotion of the character and exactly what he'll be feeling at any given moment. Yeah. And I just think it's incredible. I think the, the most standout moment for me in these episodes was when Ahsoka had beaten him and he gets captured and he's just terrified. He's like screaming to be allowed to die because the alternative is he gets taken to Palpatine. And he doesn't want to get taken to Palpatine. Yeah, wasn't I seeing Maul sort of scrabbling around, knowing what's just about to happen? Yeah. It did make for a very confusing Order 66 scene. <laughs> so I couldn't work out if he was trying to share his vision, like some sort of forced connection with him and Ahsoka, or if it was supposed to be all the Jedis and just, if it was happening then, or if it was premonition. And it took me like a minute until, like, you know, the actual clone sort of turned around or whatever. I was like, is this the actual event happening within the episode, or is this Maul trying to do one last final grasp to get Ahsoka to believe him? Well, I don't think he did it because he was stuck in that anti-force coffin thing. So I think Ahsoka was just reaching out to see if she could sense Anakin somewhere through the force. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's just that it was such a giant thing that all the force users same with Yoda in the movie when he's on Kashyyyk yeah. and he drops his cane and has a bit of a stumble but first I'd work out if that was the case or if it was something more as you know just managed to break through this deadlock and with one final sort of desperation thing yeah I can see where you're coming from yeah I just assumed that her connection to Anakin meant that she was sort of an observer of that event but yeah it's weird um, it's not weird but the used the actual clips from the film so it was like Hayden Christensen and Samuel L. Jackson and Ian McDermott doing the voices at that, or it was just the clip but it's almost a little bit insulting to your voice cast of these characters that have played them for years and for longer than the other actors did, especially when the Obi-Wan guy got to do his own version of Obi-Wan's warning thing for Rebels 
Yes, yeah. It's, these people have been voicing these characters for years and were presumably hired due to them being able to create passable versions of, of the voices of the big-name actors to portray them in the movies. Yeah. So to just kind of like unceremoniously shut them aside at the last moment, it does seem to be disregarding them a bit. It's weird as well because focusing on Ahsoka for the finale makes sense because this is your unique character to this franchise. Well, this section of the franchise, so yeah, it makes sense to focus on her. Weirdly, Ventress hasn't been seen in a long time, but that's a completely different story. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what happens to her. Oh, just but, doing a checkup, the guy who voices the Emperor in the Clone Wars has died. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, I, was, I, I figured like I wonder if that's the case. I'm guessing it's just simply then, like instead of recording it with like the guy who plays Anakin, the guy who plays Mace, and then I guess like Ian McDermott or using Palpatine's actual voice. I guess they thought it'd be like just to use the audio clip. Sam Whitmer usually voices the Emperor now anyway. <laughs> oh, did he? Yeah. Yeah. He did it in like The Force Unleashed and I believe he did it in um, in something else. Might have been in Rebels actually when he appeared before the finale where it was Ian McDermott again. I can't remember. But he has definitely yeah. voiced the Emperor before um, and certainly in video games. So yeah, if they really needed Palpatine, I suppose Sam Whitmer could have done it. Yeah. I suppose also because Mace wasn't in the series either, so it's like we don't want to pay him. Let's just get the clip. <laughs> <laughs> They're not in the rest of the series. Like Anakin's in the series and Sam Witwer's in the series, but like, yeah. it's like, well, let's use the clip. It's cheaper. Maybe they added it in later on. They're like, oh, it'd be kind of cool just to use the actual. Too late to get him into recording. We'll just get the, just get the sound bite. Yeah. It was weird in the sense that this last season, other than the opening arc and then the start of this final run of episodes, Anakin and Obi-Wan disappear because they have to participate in the events of Revenge of the Sith. But it's kind of jarring because they are a big part of this show as well. So the fact that they don't get any kind of finality in this show is kind of jarring in in that sense. Although I actually always dreamed that the final season of Clone Wars would just be a better remake of Revenge of the Sith. (laughs) (laughs) And they could have done that. Well, I suppose they couldn't have because Star Wars and its you know, film at canon, and you can't replace the canon of the film with, but you could just replay the events and make them better, you know? That would work. Yes, and possibly rewrite it with better dialogue. Yeah, much better dialogue. And better voice acting as well. Yes. Yeah, could you imagine Matt Lanter sort of turning his Anakin into Darth Vader before he gets in the suit? That'd be cool. I'd love to hear that. Actually, yeah. Yeah. I'd never thought of that, but actually that, that would be quite something. Yeah. But it wasn't to be because ultimately they're involved in that film. And I really like the last moment Anakin and Obi-Wan get with Ahsoka as well, where, you know, you get all the clones, as you mentioned earlier, lining up to pay respect to her. And it doesn't matter that you're not a Jedi officially, we're still loyal to you. And then the way that shot is mirrored in the final episode when she gets to the hangar and they're all standing there ready to kill her. Yeah, this was a bit of an emotional twinge there. Yeah, definitely. And although some of it was weird, sort of expositional, here's where we are in Revenge of the Sith now. It's like, well, Dooku knew about Darth Sidious, but we can't ask him. Why not? Well, uh, Anakin killed him like half an hour ago, so... (laughs) (laughs) He just says it so matter-of-factly as well. It's not a huge deal. Yeah, I think because a significant aspect of this final arc is the fact that it's happening concurrently with Revenge of the Sith, then it's obviously important to them that the audience was aware of, of how the events stacked up against each other. And also with having Obi-Wan, Anakin called away because the whole 
Battle of Coruscant is about to go down, and that's an indication of what's happening elsewhere at this point. And so you're able to keep it clear in your mind, so it isn't too jarring after Order 66 gets executed. Yeah. Order 66 always amuses me. I mean, I think it's quite actually quite well done in Revenge of the Sith, but it's the fact that Palpatine calls every single clone individually to tell them to execute the order. <laughs> it's like, could you not just have a recording? <laughs> that will make more sense. Like that out. Yeah. All of them. He just, yeah. Can you not just like dial all and then they'll all answer instead of Commander Cody, do it. Rex, your turn. And it's, but five years <laughs> later, he's finally done. <laughs> here's a record message and send it all. I mean, it's what he does later on when he's a zombie on a crane, you know, yeah, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. Putting his message in video games. Uh, <sighs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I just remembered everything about that film. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you see the tweet that Elijah Wood replied to? That was funny. Oh yeah, I did. did you know this? He's like, no, how could I have possibly known? <laughs> Actually, I started doing a bit of writing for a very poorly regarded clickbait website. Oh no. Because, you know, money. Well, I think we'll forgive everything except for we got this covered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Though I don't do any articles where they're clearly making things up. I only write stuff that's actually got sources to it. Yeah. If that's I'm, how you sleep I, at night, fair enough. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> don't, like, don't, like, don't, don't at me. <laughs> I did something about that tweet that Elijah would send uh, about, about it, um, and was using it as an excuse to just rant again about how everything in Rise of Skywalker was just terrible. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, so... Yeah, Clone Wars, Revenge of the Sith. So, the yeah, these episodes are tied to it. Although I like the intimate perspective of Ahsoka just trying to survive for a couple of episodes as every clone on that Jedi cruiser trying to kill her, apart from Rex, who she gives brain surgery to on the fly. And I kind of wondered how Rex would break his programming. Although I got the impression from Rebels that he somehow did it himself. Yeah, yeah, that's the impression I got with like, him and, and Cody and the other one. Yeah. I don't think it was, it was specified like exactly how, though. So it was obviously decided that it was left open to interpretation enough. Like, like the, the, this, the doing it this way wouldn't, wouldn't be breaking any established facts. And he did hesitate for like a second when the order came through. Yeah. I've always sort of wondered how much of their free will the clones retained once the Order 66 came through. Because other than the fact that they just want to kill all Jedi, they seem relatively normal. Oh, I can only assume that like the whole Order 66 thing was some kind of deep-seated mental conditioning. Yeah. That once activated, was it resolved in, in this compulsion to kill any, any Jedi. Could you imagine if they went to like Dexter Jetster Diner and the server sounded kind of like Palpatine and just asked, who was Order 66? <laughs> <laughs> they just start turning around gunning down Jedi just in the middle of this diner. <laughs> Yeah, there's another memes where it's like, Palpatine, how many pizzas shall we get for the Death Star Christmas party and stuff? He's <laughs> like, Order 66. <laughs> it's like, oh no. <laughs> that sounds like a robot chicken sketch. It does, yeah. They're listening. If they do it, I'm suing. Yep. I, I mean, if it's funny, I'll just I'll let it go because it'll be funny. But yeah, it, it can be as simple as that. Just... I don't know. It has to be, I guess it has to be Palpatine saying it in a specific way at a specific time with 
in a specific circumstance. I don't know. Maybe it's partly in the signal as well that, that activates the implant. Who cares? It's technology in the Star Wars universe. No one cares yeah. how it works. I did like the thing about Rex is like, oh, I think we've all got these chips in our heads. And it's like we reported it and they were like, yes, cool. I don't worry about it. Yeah, I liked that arc. That was in the unreleased, but then released sort of Netflix season that they did. Yeah. Yeah, season six, which is we've made these episodes, so might as well let you see them after it was cancelled kind of season. That was one of those. And that's where the, the fives reference comes from. He accidentally goes a bit crazy and guns down a Jedi and then gets test done. It turns out the Kaminoans are in on the plot because, of course, they are, because they had to put them in there. I wonder if Boba Fett has one in his head. I would imagine not since Boba Fett was, was created as part of Django's payment yeah. and was created to his specifications rather than Palpatine's because he specified that he should age normally to, in effect, give Django a son. Yeah, but they may have just shoved a chip in his brain just in case they needed an extra gun to kill the Jedi. They wouldn't suspect a small child. Yeah. Maybe when he shows up in the Mandalorian, someone will just say Order 66 to see what happens. See if he tries to kill the, the baby Yoda thing. So the confrontation with Maul, as I said, I liked how they talked about the issue at hand for a bit and they both had the perspective of, we're not part of these named organisations anymore, so that's why we're weaving in and out of it. And I'm kind of wondering if Maul had just said, fine, I won't kill Anakin, or even just lied to her about the fact that he planned to kill Anakin, could they have stopped the rise of the Emperor? I'm going to guess it's a bit too late. Yeah, although I was wondering that later in the episode because it's the bit where Ahsoka's talking to Yoda and Yoda says, oh, do you want to speak to Master Skywalker? But they'd sent him away at that point. But I wonder, could Ahsoka just have said to Yoda, Maul said that Darth Sidious wants to recruit Anakin as his apprentice, and then... That might have been enough to just spur things in a different direction. Can we get an animated What If Star Wars series? <laughs> we are with Marvel. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure at what level Palpatine really has Annie wrapped around his finger. I'm pretty sure even if they were the last minute, even before the whole Mace Windu stuff, I'm pretty sure like, by that point, he's already probably mostly turned. <laughs> Tidious would just be like, see, they're planning to destroy me. And he'd be like, yeah, great. Yeah. I'm going to trust this man. <laughs> as opposed to like, everyone who's taught me and stuff. And also, the Jedi haven't been very nice to him. No. He's still already not been granted rank of Master. He's already pissed <laughs> off way before. If someone has got a point where they are evidently okay with, with the morality of gunning down children, yeah, then I think they can probably be convinced of pretty much anything. Yeah, that's kind of why I wanted to see Clone Wars do their own take on Revenge of the Sith, because that whole transitioning from, he has to stand trial to, I'm going to kill all the Jedi children, is completely complete nonsense is completely abrupt and completely insane but i would have liked to see a bit more of a justification of that because clone wars as a series actually changed my perspective on anakin because in the films you have no reason to think he's anything other than just kind of a bad guy he's just not a very nice person but in clone wars he is that compassionate kind very skilled pilot warrior jack of all trades who's amazing at everything and you can see why people wanted to follow him into battle and, and so on. So my perspective on Anakin because of Clone Wars is he was a good guy that just got led down a really dark path and went further down it than he could reasonably get back from himself. I remember a few years ago, I can't remember exactly where it was. a company like, maybe like Mothercare or the Early Learning Centre or somewhere like that. They had a brand of Star Wars toys, one of which was Anakin, and somebody complained about that, effectively pointing out that he becomes Darth Vader, one of the biggest, biggest and most evil villains in, in the galaxy. 
And so, and to which which the response was was saying, well, well, yes, that's who it becomes. But yes, but yeah, but it's just the Clone Wars. In the Clone Wars, he, he's a heroic character. Yeah. And the way he's portrayed there is someone children can look up to. Yeah. And I definitely see that heroic side to him when I watch Clone Wars, and it has really flipped my perception of him. We'll be doing the prequels, the other two prequels over the next two years, so it'd be interesting to analyse his turn to the dark side while knowing that, even though it's almost not fair to do that, because if the films don't do it, we shouldn't be crediting other media for enhancing them in that respect, because they should work on their own merits. But it's interesting to get that perspective on Anakin as that tragic fallen from grace type guy who just went too far and couldn't get back it's, it's clear that was how George Lucas effectively envisioned him yeah it's just a shame that descent that gradual the emotional descent like from heroism into evil just was not in any way adequately portrayed yeah. in the movies and in Clone Wars they don't really deal with that at all there's the odd sign that he's a bit reckless and when he meets Tarkin and stuff he sort of agrees with his point of view in some respects, that kind of thing. But they don't spend a lot of time being heavy-handedly suggesting that this guy will become one of the biggest fascists in the universe pretty soon. And I may have been imagining it, but it, it, it did kind of seem to me that as the series got to its later stages, it seemed to me that Anakin like, was being drawn like with, with ever so slightly more shadow to his features, so sort of signifying his descent into darkness. Yeah, but I don't think he was actually descending into darkness. I think it is that point where he just falls off the edge. I think that's what actually happens because up until the point where he does turn he is still that hero i mean you see him in clone wars you see him probably hours before or certainly days before his turn and he's just yeah he's on the battlefield as normal him and obi-wan are are just chatting away they're having a bit of banter there's no real suggestion that he's nearly there he's almost ready to pop it's a difficult one. I think it's difficult when you've got so many interpretations of the same guy who's supposed to have a pretty defined journey and doesn't. But certainly Clone Wars doesn't spend a lot of time on the fact that he's going to be Darth Vader one day because because I do think it is supposed to be that light switch moment, I guess, where he just goes too far and then that's it. I think, I think it might be these reach a point where, where he himself decides that uh, like they, they, they can't turn back. Yeah. I just kind of like just then just has to kind of Carry on the kind of get and then just has to carry on the path that he's found himself on. The whole, the only way out is through kind of thing. Yeah. Because if he tries to turn back, then then there'll be nothing waiting for him because everything that he previously was has been destroyed. So there's nothing more for him in that old life. Yeah. Well, at that point, he'd lost Padme. He'd lost Ahsoka. The Jedi were no longer a thing. So what would he even do if he managed to beat the Emperor? He's just some <laughs> guy trapped in a robot suit. I think it's supposed to be tragic. And also, the thing about Clone Wars is, obviously, it spends so much time on developing the Ahsoka-Anakin relationship that it makes a lot more sense for her to be the one to redeem him than Luke. Yeah, I see that. Also, probably what's great about when they do finally encounter each other other again in Rebels. Yeah. Yeah, when she cuts his mask and and you see his his eye and he he sort of comes to his senses for a brief moment. Yeah, and and there's that moment of realisation... For Soko, about who who this like black knight actually is. Yeah, even though she should probably kind of have a fair idea. <laughs> it's more poignant and emotional if it was a sudden thing. Yeah, and I also just get sidetracked too much. Well, those Twilight the Apprentice sort of duo episodes were fantastic. Yeah, Isaac, do you have a take on Anakin's fall to the dark side as kind of as enhanced or? Not enhanced by Clone Wars, as it might. I find I'm not seeing too much of like, the old Clone Wars. 
And in this series, Yuge has his final moment with Ahsoka where he gives the lightsabers and you sort of know what's happening in the background. So and then you get too much extra time with him to sort of see how different it is from Hayden Christensen. Not really like seeing enough of the Clone Wars to sort of see if there's like a difference in his character, you know, how it's been fleshed out over the six series and all the extra sort of stuff they put in, as well as the master trainee relationship between Ahsoka and Anakin. Mm-hmm. So I'm only really going from the scattering of ones I've seen in the old ones. And then is he two or three episodes this year, sort of around the end of the Bad Batch and just this sort of episode eight and nine, I know, eight, nine and ten is in, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so I've not seen too much of this iteration of Anakin. I think, I don't want to get a sense, I wasn't really looking for the sense of, is he already sort of turning in these episodes? It just seems like standard episode three Anakin, as he is when he's fighting Dooku and still sort of in the light. Yeah, when you last see him, it's just before the Battle of Coruscant, where he kills Dooku and saves Palpatine and immediately regrets killing Dooku and then forgets about it ten minutes later. So I shouldn't have done that. Oh well, time to move on. It was weird. Revenge of the Sith is weird. I think I think is the conclusion that we can draw here. But ending the show with Ahsoka essentially surviving is the right decision, I think. And one of the definite successes Clone Wars has has showed how much Ahsoka grew over the course of the seasons. Because when she started, she was a very bratty. And I know a lot of people criticised her early on because she was just an annoying, cute kid brat type character. But I think it's season three, she gets a new costume and then she gets a new costume later on again and she gets wiser and less annoying as time goes on, which is definite progression. It is actually a mark of the show's writing that they do actually portray that because when the Clone Wars starts, because Ahsoka is, what, 14, 15 or so? Something like that, yeah. yeah but the thing to remember is that the series takes place over several years. Yeah. Um, so in that time, Ahsoka will be growing up, it will be actually maturing physically and, and, and emotionally. So it makes sense that as time progresses, he uh, becomes more temperate and more introspective and less prone to making rash decisions. And I just love the gradual subtlety with which the changes in her character came about to coincide w- with how older she was getting. Because it is really easy for adult characters to take a character just being a teenager yeah. and just imagine them to stay exactly the same regardless of how much older they get. I mean, look at any of the Harry Potter novels, for example, that, because like, the characters do not alter in the entirety of seven entire books uh, and seven years of their adolescence in that they're exactly the same as they are on day one, which is, uh, you know what, not going into that. <laughs> but, and as well as seeing Ahsoka grow into herself as a Jedi, we're also watching her grow into herself as an actual person as well. Yeah. And I think that's part of what makes her such an endearing character and why she's a standout favourite for so many people. Yeah, and I seem to remember some chatter at the time when season one was airing because her costume was a source of some controversy because she had essentially a crop top and people were like, she's like 13 or whatever, you're overly sexualising this character. And it's like, "Mm, I think you're overly sexualising this character. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't think that's the intent at all. And I don't think anybody, well, except from this loud pocket, are reading into it that way. But as she grows up, she wears different clothes and stuff. I think her character model in the final season is different to obviously what it was when she previously appeared and different again in Rebels as well. She has a completely different outfit there. Clothing as character, and I think that's an important thing in animation because that's in one image tells you a lot about them. Yeah, because at the end of the Clone Wars, she should be 
what, what, like 19 or 20 or so. Yeah. yeah. And then by the time Rebels comes around, she'll be in her mid-30s. Yeah. I think, come on, technology. And she's yeah. unique in the sense that since she doesn't stay a Jedi, and I think one of the most powerful moments she has is when she purposely gives up being a Jedi, where she leaves on for her own moral reasons. She believes that, yeah, I don't belong to this organisation anymore because of what they did and what they did to me and how they were able to write me off so quickly. I don't want to be a part of that. So then she gets to go and play with that philosophy and come up with her own take on it later on as well. Especially in Rebels, she is very much... I mean, she's not a Jedi. She's not a Sith. She's she's that thing I kept talking about on the last Jedi podcast. She's that thing that's in between that understands that the world is bigger than these two extremes. There are not really a description of how it was designed that she would look in Rebels, and specifically with her lightsabers. The reason why the blades of them are white is to signify that she isn't like any kind of extreme. She's not a Jedi or Sith or anything like that. She's just in between there, so she doesn't ascribed to a specific philosophy or morality that's been told her this is what you must believe because this is what you are. She decided for herself who she's going to be. Yeah, Yeah, and and she has become that. Yeah, and it's why it's slightly disappointing that we're only going to see her in The Mandalorian because I don't think they're going to explore that too much. Or maybe it opens the window for her to get her own series at some point. Although I do wish that Ashley Eckstein would get the chance to play her in live action. There's no reason that she couldn't. As much as... And I think Rosario Dawson is an amazing actor. Ahsoka is Ashley Eckstein's character because she's such a fundamental aspect of, of why the character is thought of in such high regard. It's the softness um, of the voice and everything. Yeah, I think she really brings a lot to it. Hmm. Uh, and she really should have been given the, the opportunity to, to play her as, as live action. There was a quotation from her that got bandied about, basically about her reaction to not playing in, in a series. And there was a, a little bit of, of a generic thing, just saying that just kind of like, you know, what's, what's best the property and, and how the people that think they can best bring the character to life. But kind of reading between the lines, it seemed to me that she was quite disappointed. Yeah, well, Ahsoka's hers and has been for the whole time, so... Letting go of that must be hard for her, I would say. Yeah. I suppose it's different if it's this actor could never play this, this character in live action because she's like 60 years old or something and voicing her. But there's no reason Ashley Eckstein couldn't do it. No, because I think she's, she's what, mid-late 30s, I think? Yeah, something like that. And yeah, her build is the same. Thereabout. You know, it's makeup anyway. Exactly. Yeah. But I would like to see that explored just the, I don't know, maybe the intervening years between Clone Wars and Rebels about how she finds her version of the discipline that taking bits and pieces from the Jedi discipline but adapting it in her own way as well and finding different ways of thinking about things and doing things and I'm always interested in that, just playing around in that grey area because the Jedi are not blameless at all, they are a problem because of the limitations they place on people. You can't get married. You can't forge connections with people. We'll abduct you from your parents at like six years old and force you to do this. And then when you're like eight years old, we'll lock you inside a frozen cave and expect you to come out with a crystal. And if you don't, (laughs) you'll just freeze to death and and we'll write it off. It's fine. (laughs) That's something I want to see a lot more of. I know there's a novel that sort of chronicles that time in her life and the reason she has the two white lightsabers is that she, I think she steals an Inquisitor's two lightsabers and uncorrupts the crystal, that the red crystal that they have, and apparently when you free a crystal of the corruption it turns white 
But it's a non-canon novel now, I think. But it sort of explains that. But yeah, I'm never going to read that, probably. Maybe I will one of these days. Either way, it's stuff that you can play with. And I think that's where the last season wasted a bit of time because they could have, in the Ahsoka episodes where she's hanging around with those scavengers, they could have explored that idea. Where's her head at now that she's not a Jedi? And they don't really do it. Said they chose to show her getting electrocuted and knocked out for the five dozenth time. Yeah. And there's also the fact that they never really explain what the Jedi do with Force-sensitive people that don't want to be Jedi or don't make the grade. Because there must be some. So they just let Ahsoka run around with all her training and all her powers. It's an interesting mm, yeah. one. You know, so because there must be Force-sensitive people that they don't get to. People that use their ability to sort of read minds to win card games and things. Imagine the guy from Doctor Strange who just wants to walk, the magician. Yeah. It's a Jedi equivalent. Yeah. Those people must exist. And it would be interesting to see that. And I know we kind of got teased with Luke setting up a new Jedi Order and The Last Jedi, but I would have quite liked to see Ahsoka maybe doing something similar. Because one thing Rebels doesn't do well enough, I think, is establish her teacher-pupil relationship with Ezra because she's introduced, she's in it for an episode or two and then she disappears for most of the season which is really disappointing. Whereas Ahsoka this week, who knows? She's just not here. I think that that might partly have been in the same way that Clone Wars was Ahsoka's story, then Rebels was Ezra's story. Yeah. And to feature Ahsoka too much would likely have ended up detracting from what needed to be really focused on his development. She still could have been a bigger part of it, I think, than she was. But that's a discussion for an inevitable Rebels podcast one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> so they do continue quite a few threads in Rebels. We've already talked about it, but I love Maul in this show. I think he's so good. And here he's at the height of his power. And I thought the action was brilliant. Ahsoka versus Maul. I believe Ray Park returned to do some motion capture. He did, yes. Yeah. And it shows... It really does. <laughs> it's so smooth. And he's got his double lightsabers back and... They don't quite play Jewel of the Fates, but they almost do. You get mm-hmm. kind of you get a suggestion of Jewel of the Fates. <laughs> I wasn't a huge fan of his sort of force unleashed throwing stuff around in episode twelve. I was a bit super powered, I think. So force unleashedy, where he was, you know, ripping off walls and using them as shields and ripping the engines out of the ship and stuff. Well, I mean, that's a general prequel type power level, anyway, and I think that. There's different takes on how powerful the Force is in given users. I mean, if you look at the original trilogy, they can barely shove people. They can barely shove stuff. You know, Luke struggles to lift some rocks. But yeah, in the prequels, they're just chucking stuff about. And But I did like the fact that he was released as a distraction. And it's like Order 66 surprises all the Jedi and he's just tearing through an entire ship <laughs> without a lightsaber. Mm-hmm. But Ahsoka yeah. stands on I'm not going to kill these clones. But I'm just going to let Maul kill them all. <laughs> yeah. I think the yeah, same as then, was it? Yoda on Kashyyyk doesn't even give them a chance. Just beheads the first two. We don't even get to say anything. Yeah. Yoda, are you okay? <laughs> it's just like, no, I'm going to kill them. I don't care. There's, there's a billion of them. Yeah. Like, I'm not taking any chances. I like that sort of. This is a Jedi who's been in a few betrayals. <laughs> like, he knows no mercy. He's like, no mercy to them. They're not showing me mercy. I'm not showing them mercy. And she's like, I oh, don't shoot them. But then also, some of them are dying when they're just getting the bolts reflected, I think. So I think she's trying to not kill as many as she is. But I still think some are getting, you know, ricocheted. 
Yeah, I guess there's a difference between trying to kill them and just trying to survive, I suppose. Yeah. So she's deflecting the laser blast and she's not going to miss all of them. And when she's on the, it's not the bridge, is it? Where she's first attacked, it's just a room. Yeah, I think it's for the out the medical bay. Oh, when she's first attacked, yeah, she's in that. Yeah. Like in that middle table, that's super cool. Yeah, yeah. I really like that bit. Yeah, yeah but like, she kills them there. She definitely. Yeah, because they're just surrounded. She can't not hit them. Yeah. There's one in every corner of the room. Yeah, it's fine, I guess. I mean, she's not going to try and kill them. She doesn't hit any of them with her lightsabers. It's all yeah. bolt deflecting, and, and she has no real choice at that point. It's almost the Batman argument, isn't it? The, I don't have to kill you, but I also don't have to save you. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the main difference between this and movies is in the prequel films, the clones were fairly generic. There's this nebulous force of numbers. But they have bugger on um, screen right, time well, as well, well, really, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Very little consideration. Yeah. given to them. Whereas one of the great things about the series was the fact that it took great pains to, to paint them as individuals and to show that each one of them is an actual person. Yeah. And they weren't just mindless duplicates of a single individual. Each of them was their own person, which is what makes the last whole sequence of Clone War so tragic. Yeah. If you look at Revenge of the Sith, is it the only one that's named in that film as Cody? I think. There might I think be a couple so, yeah. of names, but Cody's the one that stands out, and it's almost like, oh, that's cute, Obi Wan. You named one of them. <laughs> it's, like, it's his favourite clone, <laughs> so he gave it a name. You know, it's like, but in Clone Wars, they expand it out as they sort of choose a name that suits them, and it's and it all fits what they do, or it's just a name that they liked. So you had fives that we've already mentioned. His number was all five, yeah. so they call him that. And Rex, I don't know why they call him Rex. They just do. It's just his name. It's it's his, and he owns it, and no one else has it. He loves Jurassic Park. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, he loves dinosaurs <laughs> that don't exist in the Star Wars. Yeah, then there's uh, someone like Echo, who was given a nickname by Squadron because of how he was repeating orders. Yeah. Or Heavy, because he liked heavy weapons. Yeah, stuff like that. And the Clone Wars show does a really good job of, even when they don't say much or do much, giving them that individuality they all customize their armor and things like that like rex has the number of kills etched on his helmet and stuff like that is really cool and that conversation rex and ahsoka have in one of the episodes where they sort of skirt around the morality of the war where ahsoka's like oh yeah we created a race of people for war is that maybe not right and rex is like well whether it's right or not it means that I have a life and that's worthwhile and that's good. And Ahsoka's like, yeah, and I couldn't ask for a better friend as a result of it. So some good came of it. Well, if it wasn't for the war, I wouldn't exist. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's something they've never really answered is what gets done with the clones after the Empire comes into being. Are they discarded? Do they just become normal stormtroopers? Whichever clones are left, do they just become stormtroopers? They never answer that question. No, that was one kind of annoyed me. And I was kind it, of hoping this show would answer that question as well. But the end, but it didn't. It does seem a bit of a leap to, to just presume that, that these soldiers who spent five years alongside an organisation meant to be galactic peacekeepers, only to then be completely fine with a totalitarian empire. Yeah. That would be part of their conditioning, I guess. Yeah, I accept that reasoning, but it just seems a little bit too much to presume without any justification. Yeah, and I think some people just thought they had a limited lifespan. They were only supposed to live like 10 years, so they would just be dead by the time the original trilogy comes about. But then we have Rebels, where Rex turns up and he's an old man. Yeah, and with a very impressive beard. Yeah, you have to guess in terms of his physical age, he's about 60 or something at that point, maybe? Yeah, but thereabouts, I'd say, yeah. Yeah. 
50, maybe in his 50s, something like that. Yeah, it's an open question, though. What happens to the clones once the Empire comes in? Because you do see stormtroopers in the last scene. That is true, yeah. It's not that long after the events. I mean, it's long enough for the cruiser to be partially covered in ice and stuff, but that shouldn't take that long. Yeah, maybe they do just get conscripted and become stormtroopers. Maybe that's what happens. Hmm. We may never know. Quite possibly. So... On the final scene, I thought that final scene was excellent. Just that complete silence. Well, I mean, it starts off with Rex and Ahsoka making the graves to all the clones. So to give them that, even though they died in the crash and they died serving a program that they couldn't fight, they give them that last moment of humanity by honouring them, by burying them. And that's it's a really nice moment. And when Vader shows up, and finds Ahsoka's lightsaber and assumes she's dead, I guess, at that point. Assumes she died in the crash, or before the crash. And even though you can't see any expression in his face, I think the mask is expressive enough in the way that he just kind of looks longingly into the distance. It's almost as if that last bit of humanity in him is sort of fading away. Yeah, because it seems to be suggesting that Ahsoka as his final remaining link to the person that he used to be. Yeah. It's, and if, if she's gone, then there's definitely no going back for him. Yeah, and it's just the they take the, the breather, which is funny when you're talking about Darth <laughs> Yeah, they, <laughs> they, But they take the moment to let him stand there, and you can just imagine what he's thinking in that moment. And the bird is significant as well. She's always been connected to, or later on she's connected to animals and rebels to a degree. So, yeah. Powerful little understated end scene, that one, I thought. Yeah, it was kind of like over the the sort of long line of the different helmets. And I know some of them meant like the one with the marking on the side. I'm not sure the name, but the specific ones. Yeah. I'm assuming they're like long-running individual ones like Echo or Cody or Gunt was heavy and yeah, the, the, the gang and the 501st and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's really wonderfully designed. Not just that specific episode, but you kind of notice it most in that one where it's the way they've painted almost, almost sort of like a brushed oil paint snowscape and all the lines, sort of lines of dirt as well. It's, it's the same with the, sort of the Mandalorian army. It's not clean. It's all dented and it's all scruffed and nasty. And I think definitely it shows up best in that sort of final moment where it's the sweeping snow and you got Darth Vader and his cloaks all amongst it. I don't know, it's, it's the intricacies of the animation, the design and stuff. Yeah. Uh, with the actual meaning of the final scene with Darth Vader, it, it's one of those scenes that I didn't watch it on the day it came out, and obviously it was everywhere, so it's like, yeah. well, I know that Darth Vader's, yeah, everyone's sharing this picture, it's like, spoil- you never guess who spoiler shows up in the finale, and <laughs> it's, a, it's a tall black triangle amongst the white, I'm like, oh, who could that be? <laughs> like, we have a blue lightsaber, so it obviously can't be Darth Vader, maybe it's something else, but I suppose you have to just kind of end the thingy with the Darth Vader appearance. Yeah. It was more meaningful to have the, well, for me, because I don't have too much of the relationship between Ahsoka and Anakin known. But I think the bit where she was just burying them all was, we're literally burying the characters. This is just done now. They're in the ground. Yeah. <laughs> you can't, if you're doing the characters as a story, like storytelling, here's all the people you've known who've grown up through these seven series of Clone Wars. We're burying them in the snow. That's it. That's kind of put as more of an epilogue scene than that sort of one. Yeah, it's powerful in its own right, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very striking. One thing I thought might have happened, I mean, you see that Vader is 
his lightsaber on him at that point, the one that we know that he has in the original trilogy. I keep wanting to say sequel trilogy, but that's something else entirely. That's not... Yeah, it's, he's definitely not got it there. But what I was thinking they could have done was when Anakin handed her the two lightsabers, one of them would be the hilt that he has as Vader, and then he picks up her discarded lightsaber and uses that throughout his career as Darth Vader. I think that would have been a hmm. nice little connection. I'm assuming we must have done an in-canon where Darth Vader's lightsabers come from thing. I'm not sure how much Dave Filoni and co. cut over each one's thingy. You could it have must maybe been like one a, of those comics, yeah. Yeah, where it's, oh, it's built from the you know Sith relics of something or it's, you know Darth Bane's shoulder armor or something. <laughs> Nonsense. It could be. I just... I thought that was the way they were going to go, and then I noticed he had it on his hip, and I was like, oh, well, we're not going that way. But that'd be quite a cool little feature to call back to, or even when you just rewatch other Star Wars stuff. It's like, oh my god, he has her lightsaber. Maybe it would have been too much acknowledgement of his former life, I don't know. Yeah, I think probably Dave Fader's a, especially at this birth of his character, is not really a, everything's dead to him. Yeah. Sort of thing. I don't think he, you know, even if it was Obi-Wan's lightsaber, be like, nah, it's on the ground, it's dust gone, there's no Anakin left, it's sort of purging. Yeah. So I don't think it would have been, yeah, day one Vader would have stubbornly sort of shunned any past. It is open to interpretation, I suppose, but he definitely doesn't use Ahsoka's lightsaber, so that's just a bit of fan wishing from me. So, yeah, I think we've about covered it. We've covered the finale in some detail, we've brought in some bits and pieces from the future, from the past, from different elements... I imagine we'll come back to Clone Wars at some point when we run out of films for Star Wars Day. It'll be, let's watch these three episodes of Clone Wars. Let's watch the ones with Liam Neeson in them. Let's watch the George Orwell ones. No, no, no. That's when we're about 100 years from now and we have literally nothing else. Yeah, it's a long way off. Yeah, these episodes didn't have enough Jar Jar in them, did they? (laughs) Definitely not. Was he in any of the final ones? I don't think so. Padme was. She was in one of them. Oh, yeah, because I thought Obi-Wan's like, oh, I hope you told Padme I said hello. Yeah, even though in Revenge of the Sith he just found out. Maybe he's just acting shocked because at that point he realised he should have done something about it. He's like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's really going to land on me. He's like, uh, oh, Anakin. <laughs> How did they keep that secret? How? And what was Padme going to say about the two kids if the Republic hadn't fallen? Imagine Mace Windu picking up the Naboo edition of Heat magazine and it's like, <laughs> oh, Senator Amidala spotted a fancy temple opening with things like, what? <laughs> oh, that is an image. <laughs> Mace Windu is just on a transport, just reading like. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, it's like yeah. light, light dentist magazines or whatever. It's got like, oh yeah, Palpatine today and, you know, just travel mags. It's like, oh, there we go. Well, all right, no Padme. Just suddenly realizes. Senator Padme at Amidala has been seen standing very close to the Jedi Knight Anakin Skywalker. Is there something going on there? And and Mace is just like, no, that would be against the Jedi code. We would never have anything like that. If I had any kind of Photoshop skills at all, I would totally create that. (laughs) Well, Isaac, you're the artist among us, perhaps. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) can throw a heat copy together with Padme and thingy involved. Yeah. And, of course, Obi-Wan's hardly one to judge with Duchess Satine. He was sniffing about her. Yeah, I've heard he gets a budding romance in the Clone Wars. 
He never acts on it, but they are like so thirsty for each other whenever they <laughs> whenever they're near. <laughs> and then the stuff where she's like, "Oh yeah, here's my nephew," and Obi Wan sort of, "Hey, buddy, hey, buddy." <laughs> The little kid's like, oh, hello there. And he's like, um, uh, uh, hey, hey. <laughs> I'm just going to go check the, the council on someone related. I'm going to get out of here before people start questioning this kid's ginger hair. <laughs> <laughs> His natural grown Padawan rot tail thing. <laughs> like, oh, I just did you just grew that? I was like, oh, no. He has a beard and he's eight years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Anakin was always picking up on it as well. And, but he was always encouraging him. He was, he was like, oh, it's fine. Go for it. You know, it's... The Jedi way isn't always the right way. And he's like, nope, we all swore an oath. We'll cut appendages off if you start acting on things like that. And, and Anakin's like, all right, I guess I won't come clean then. <laughs> <laughs> About this illicit marriage that must be registered somewhere. Probably on one of the outer rim planets. Like Star Wars equivalent of Vegas sort of thing. Well, they were married on Naboo, remember? So. Oh, yeah. With R2 and C-3PO in attendance. As witnesses. Oh yeah, another power for R2 in one of the episodes is he can stick to walls now. Oh, because like magnet feet things. But it's not like a stone bridge. <laughs> He's just stuck to the side of a stone bridge. Well, apparently astromech droids are just so not talented they can do literally anything. Apart from in the original trilogy when yeah. they can't do anything. <laughs> R2 is fairly broken. In the <laughs> Quite severely. Yeah, he just can't do anything. He's an old droid, can't do any of the stuff he used to do. Anyway, we were wrapping up, just bringing in <laughs> stuff, different things. But yeah, Obi-Wan and Satine. That was an interesting one, because I like that they never push the button and act on it, but they just keep it sort of suggested. I think it's a risky idea to have that and not play with it in the fullness of it, I guess. I think having it suggested, it's probably enough, because given the respective positions of characters, there would be very little place for a relationship between them two to actually go. Yeah. And the suggestion of attraction is certainly enough of a point of character for each of them. And so to, to actually take it further than that, I don't think it'd be adding that much to it. Yeah, and then his reaction when she dies tells you everything you need to know about how he felt about her as well. Yeah. Okay, so let's wrap up. Andrew, give me your concluding thoughts on... Clone Wars in the way it ended and just as a general. I'm really happy with the way that it ended. As downbeat and tragic as it was, it, it really was the only way that could have properly ended without fundamentally tinting itself by, by making some kind of non-canon alteration. Also very glad that it actually got the opportunity to be given this ending as well, because as it seemed for years that we were never actually going to get it and we were just going to be left to imagine how it would have been concluded but now we have been gifted that and life one i'm quite glad of it yeah very much joined the dots in the biggest possible way isaac what's your take on the finale and sort of in general are you going to go back and catch up on the stuff you've missed now that it's all there on disney plus Probably not. I don't know. I never, <laughs> I never catch up with many things. If it's over an hour's worth of content, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't have time for this. <laughs> but you're so furloughed. You have nothing but time. I only put stuff on in the background. I only ever watch stuff properly. It is sort of the ultimate background show. It is I would sort of say. background yeah. viewing. I mean, admittedly, the first eight episodes are kind of background viewing. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, it's not getting good. <laughs> I'm definitely more looking forward to Ashoka Tano, who's probably getting. So yeah, she'll start in Mandalorian and then probably get her own sort of spin-off. And then hopefully, yeah, if the Captain Rex rumours are true, then they'll have a bit more connection and more excited to see if they do anything with it going on, as opposed to going back and watching all the, the catch-up thingies. 
And there are other people from that era. Oh, that seemed more like a Dooku or a Grievous thing. Yeah, I'm sure Dooku and Grievous show up in the originals more, but I don't know. I'm not very good at going back and watching stuff. <laughs> yeah, Dooku shows up throughout. Grievous kind of drops off after the first couple of seasons. Probably because it's just so boring to watch him get thwarted and then... Yeah, I suppose there's not too much you can do with him in order to keep him threatening. Yeah, because at the point it's the show starts, he's already grievous. They can't even show Mace Windu's crushing his heart or whatever, because that's already happened. Yeah, I think I would like to see those ones more. You yeah, more watch those of, uh... insane anime-style cartoons. Oh, yeah, I've seen the insane anime-style cartoons. They're great. Like the bit where... General Grievous straight up just crushes a Jedi's head under his foot and then just slings him a billion miles. Or a Mace Windu just beating the crap out oh, yeah, of like, with his bare fist. Like, just, like, just like punching him at like a like, billion miles an hour. Pow, 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 pow. Oh yeah, I'll watch them again. Because <laughs> they're only like two minutes. They're ideal. <laughs> oh, they're mental. I don't oh, know if they're on Disney Plus, but yeah, they're insane. Oh, they're oh, on YouTube. Yeah. That's where Ventress first appears as well. Yeah. Just like, uh, is, yeah. just like shirtless swimming around. <laughs> it's just a huge big triangle swamp thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Anakin eats bugs as well. Oh, yeah, and then like, yeah, he has to fight with Asajj Ventress and his scars now across his body like a giant Harry Potter lightning bolt and he just sort of starts screaming in the rain while holding the red lightsaber. And I was like, this is insane. Like, what does make this into the film? Yeah, and there are so many random weird creatures as Jedi. There was one guy who was just like, purple abomination of muscle and blood vessels. And that one was a freaking werewolf. I mean, oh, yeah, I want to see him. Yeah. Watch them. They're fun. They're fun. Oh. <laughs> They're absolutely insane. I yeah, think they've on. been decanonized now, but I don't know. It's the colors we should have been talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Mace Windu that Samuel L. Jackson really wanted to play, but never yeah. got to. <laughs> <laughs> Beating droids with his bare fists. <laughs> Oh, I'm trying to imagine how they'd film that in the green screen world. He hasn't got anything to punch, so is it just him punching the wall? He'd probably be punching a punching bag, and then they'd just replace it with droids. And just yeah, I'm just imagining about. they'd stress him out. They have technicians just moving the green screen wall closer and closer. He's just getting more claustrophobic <laughs> and feral, and he's just kicking him and he's ripping him with his teeth and stuff. And George Lucas is sat with his coffee, just like this is great, it's perfect. We'll put loads of rocks in front of this. <laughs> yeah, so. You probably won't go back and watch Clone Wars, but yeah, never know. Yeah, not for a bad reason, just because I never watch anything. Yeah, fair enough. So I was happy with how this ended as well. I really liked, especially the last four episodes. The rest of the season I could take or leave, to be honest. I think any rewatch I do of Clone Wars in the future will probably just be, I'll watch the episodes I like, or the arcs that I like. So I already mentioned the Mortis, I think it's the Mortis arc, where it's the light side and dark side of the Force represented as people and then there's the old father and funnily enough the dark side mm-hmm. guy's voiced by sam whitwer as well indeed yeah that guy gets around yeah. and he turns into a giant owl or something yes and ahsoka briefly dies in it she does and anakin gets a vision of himself as darth vader and then immediately forgets it <laughs> <laughs> so that happens it's much better than we're making it sound that's where liam neeson first reprises his role he's a ghost he's indeed, not even yes. a ghost he's just a trick and yeah, he's designed to trick Obi-Wan. But he does eventually appear on his own, like, properly. I think that's in Season 6. So Yeah, anyway. Uh, so if I go back to watch Clone Wars, it'll be that kind of stuff. I'll go back and be like, oh, yeah, I like these episodes. I'll watch these. Here's the two episodes where Jar Jar swims about and fools some droids and George Takei's in it. Probably won't watch that. Just anything to do with Jar Jar, I'll just avoid. But 
I'll go back and watch it. I loved Clone Wars in general. I like the idea of seeing different sides of the Star Wars universe, even if I'm not going to like the sides that they show me necessarily. So The Mandalorian, I agree with in principle. It's just I don't like it. I think it's good to see those different aspects, but... It's good to see them when they're not boring. <laughs> yeah, I just don't want to see those different aspects. Where are the lightsabers? Where are the lightsabers? <laughs> Ultimately, are, that is... When are they going to get to the lightsaber factor? <laughs> Ultimately, I'm like, yeah, I would love to see a non-Jedi story in the Star Wars universe. And then when they tell me a non-Jedi story in the Star Wars universe, I'm like, nah, where's the lightsabers? Where's the yeah. flips? I need some flips. Where the force at? Where's the force? And give me, Give me all the flips. And, and then when the lightsabers do show up, this guy only has one lightsaber. I really yeah. want to see someone with three lightsabers. Oh, it's the wrong colour. <laughs> oh my god, blue again. <laughs> <laughs> We're all the comic book guy from The Simpsons. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Proud of it as well. So, <laughs> worst movie ever. I'm only going to watch it another six times <laughs> today. <laughs> but, yeah, successful ending. Good to see them join the dots up with Rebels. I'll probably watch Rebels again. I've not seen it in a while. And I don't think I've watched Rebels again since it became a completed work. And I think once you watch something when it's fully finished, you get a different perspective on it. I only watched it as it was airing. And the only part of it I've actually watched again is a YouTube clip of that scene of Ahsoka completely beating the crap out of those two Inquisitors because I just love that fight. Yeah, it's a good fight. Again, you're skipping right to the lightsaber factory. Indeed, yes. Because <laughs> I'm not shallow. I haven't watched Resistance yet because I know there's not any lightsabers in it. So <laughs> really yeah, not that and, and it's also kind of mediocre as well. Because there are no lightsabers in it. And also because they're fairly uninteresting characters and it remaining completely peripheral to everything interesting only serves to remind you that more interesting things are happening elsewhere than what you're currently watching. Fair enough. So don't watch Resistance apparently. Maybe one day. It's on Disney Plus, so you know I could just watch it. In the background when I'm doing something else. There's only two seasons of it, and then it's definitely ended. All right, okay. Yeah, there'll be another Star Wars cartoon before long. Undoubtedly. Like so, let's go back to our peacetime in lockdown and enjoy the benevolence of the Empire, which may or may not be topical based on current events. You decide. So, Isaac, thanks for taking some time to discuss Clone Wars and lightsabers and other stuff. Yeah, happy to be here. And Andrew, thank you for taking the time to send off the Clone Wars. It's been an honour. An honour it is indeed. May the Force be with everyone. So that was our discussion of the final season, plus all of it, of Star Wars The Clone Wars. Thanks to YouTuber 331ERock for the supplied exit music. If you enjoyed what you heard, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or any major podcasting app. iTunes users, don't forget to leave a star rating and a comment. If you want to talk Clone Wars, Star Wars, or anything else, you can join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. As always, we would be honoured if you would join us on the next Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog.